The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Hello and welcome to Squawk Box. Here are your headlines today. China's recovery picture wavers with factory prices plunging at their fastest pace in seven years as deflation risks fuel calls for more stimulus to spur growth. The S&P 500 eyes the potential start of a new bull market, advancing 20% off its October low ahead of the Fed decision next week. Uh, Binance suspending all US dollar deposits, citing its SEC lawsuit. This is, and wait for this, this is the SEC chair, Gary Gensler, ramps up its criticism of the industry. He calls it rife with hucksters and fraudsters. Elsewhere, UK Prime Minister Rishi Sunak and the US President Joe Biden signed something they've called the Atlantic Declaration, agreeing to step up cooperation on clean energy, but falling far short once again of a full trade deal. What we've announced today is a partnership that will deepen our cooperation to strengthen the economic security. We're one of the largest investors in each other's countries and that trade is growing at something like 20% last year. So the relationship is strong, it's booming. And a federal grand jury indicting Donald Trump on seven criminal charges over mishandling of classified documents, making uh, that the second time the former president has been indicted since leaving office. It's election interference at the highest level. There's never been anything like what's happened. I'm an innocent man. I'm an innocent person. Very good morning. How are you? Good morning. Well, you're near the end of a very long stint, having worked the whole weekend as well. So you're about two weeks into your working week. Yeah, happy Friday. Yeah, happy Friday. <laughs> there is so much going on, and there's so much I want to talk to you about and to our viewers about as well. But I think perhaps one of the biggest stories in town is what's going on in China. Because don't forget, let's take a step back. What was the big growth driver globally for economic growth for the last two decades? It wasn't the US, it wasn't Europe, it was this extraordinary growth we saw in China which just absorbed and sucked in resources from around the globe. And if we're not going to have that as a great uh, catalyst for growth in this decade, well then we've got a problem potentially, haven't we? And, and the evidence is just at the moment, it's indecisive, but it's building up to have a little bit of concern about what's going on in China. So factory gate prices in China fell Gate prices fell by 4.6% in May. That is the fastest annual decline in seven years and the eighth straight month of deflation. Consumer prices on the other end of the spectrum, so that was PPI, this is a CPI here, consumer prices rose by 0.2% on an annual basis, but fell by the same amount on a monthly basis. China's weak inflation picture comes in stark contrast, of course, to what we're seeing in the majority of the rest of the world, which is struggling, on the other hand, with price pressures. So let's get some expert opinion on what exactly is going on in China. I'm delighted to say Wei Yao joins us now, China economist at Societe Generale. Uh, really, really good to see you and very timely to see you today. So thank you very much indeed for joining us from Hong Kong today. In your opinion, how worried should we be about the lack of, of, of real excitement around the growth story and the reopening story in China? Good morning. Hey, uh, good morning. Yeah, great to be here. 
So, yes, indeed, you know, the China picture does look a bit uh, concerning. Uh, there is a cyclical recovery, but it seems now it's getting a bit overwhelmed by all these structural problems, especially the debt problem, the housing problem. And the government hasn't done much to help the economy to regain its strength. Uh, with all the data, it seems that the, you know, the pressure on them to act more to stabilize the situation, at least, is definitely rising. Um, I don't mean to be ignorant, uh, but, but what more can the government do? We already have incredible generous terms uh, in terms of triple R's compared with elsewhere around the globe. We're seeing huge indebtedness at every single level across the Chinese economy now as well. Does the Chinese government have the firepower? They do. They do have some firepower, but you're absolutely right. You know, there there is a question about how to support the economy. The methods they have been using for years, for decades, is to you know boost the uh, credit growth, especially for the infrastructure and for the housing. And these kind of methods are reaching the end of the road. But it doesn't mean that they will not use it because it doesn't seem that they are coming up with or even thinking about new method, which is more like the other countries supporting the households. They're not entertaining this idea. So I think in the short term, the most likely situation is they're going to keep using uh, a little bit of everything they've done in the past. Well, uh, if we talk about some of the uh, monetary stimulus that uh, the customer, the retail spender has received lately, we just saw that in the last 24 hours with major banks in China effectively cutting the deposit rate, uh, forcing money back into the economy. How significant is that move this time around? Because we know a lot of Chinese are not sitting on supersized savings at this stage. I, I'm afraid that uh, these kind of moves may not help, which again goes to back to the argument, you know, what they need to do is to support the households in terms of income and consumption rather than just keep lowering interest rates. Because it's quite clear after the crash in the housing sector last year, the Chinese household's balance sheet is a bit damaged by the decline in the housing prices, which is one of their biggest investments um, you know, of their portfolio. Then you can understand why you know they don't feel so much about leverage up further to invest or to consume, and they don't see much uh, investment opportunity. They can you know put their money in and get good return. So deposits may still feel like a safe place for them. Speaking of sick parts of the economy, there's been a lot of uh, reporting around some of the local government entities, just what sort of position in when they've seen revenue fall because of the lockdowns and joined over COVID, that uh, the amount of debt uh, has also increased very rapidly over the space of time. And when it comes to overall public debt in China, uh, sitting, according to Goldman Sachs, what, $23 trillion, 126% of GDP. Just how tight are the levers now when we take a look at the debt picture? The, the, when I was saying, you know, the Chinese government has scope to support economy, I'm mostly talking about the central government. Their debt is only 20% of GDP. The local government, they do have high leverage, but it's, it's because of their, you know, infrastructure companies. And for that, it's reaching the end of the road that they really have to speed up the debt restructuring. So this, again, you know, goes back to the point that adding more infrastructure may not be helpful or even you know, effective in terms of supporting economy. China is at the stage that they need to do debt restructuring. And if they do it slowly, the risk is that they're going to get stuck in deflation. 
Well, yeah, um, China grew at 8.97% for 14 years before 2023 on average. In the first quarter, it rebounded to 4%. You still believe, I think, that actually the whole of this year, it can grow at around about 5.5%. That is a lowered estimate. Is 5.5% just looking way too optimistic now? 5.5% is actually not challenging because the low base, if we exclude the base effect, 5.5% would feel more like a 4% for China, which is actually below trend. Uh, so, um, so you know, next year we, we will see more clearly what's actually the trend growth, you know, excluding the base effect, which is probably going to be something like a four handle now, given, you know, they're losing a big engine of housing and they don't have much more to do on the infrastructure. With these two sectors contributed to nearly half of the growth in the past 10 years. Um I'm just looking at a couple of other things that are worrying me. And, and, and by all means, I'm looking at the dollar you are now trading at 7.1 as well. Do we need to start worrying about what politicians overseas are going to start saying about the weakness of the yuan, the weakness of the renminbi? That's one point. And also domestically, I note that this troublesome trend in youth unemployment, uh, again, is not looking good. I I think I've got a chart uh, here which says somewhere in the region of around about 20% now. So there's real worries about what that means societally. So politically, uh, partners, trading partners, are they going to worry about the weakness of the currency? And domestically, should we worry about youth unemployment? Well, I don't think the currency is yet too much of a concern for the other countries. You know, we are in a general, uh, we're in an environment that the uh, the US inflation remain sticky, the labor market tight, the Fed may not be able to loosen. If anything, the Fed may even have to hike them more. So all this kind of create a strong dollar environment, not just you know vis-a-vis -vis China, but also vis-a-vis -vis other economies. So that's why China, the Chinese currency, yes, recently we can bit more than the others, but it's not really standing out in a very big way. Uh, it's, what China really needs to do is really to support the uh, domestic demand. Uh, which will eventually, if they do it, help on the, the labor market situation because lack of demand, which leads to you know very sizable trade surplus, that is the real issue you know for the for the, the countries. So they 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 indeed need to find a way to, or come to some new thinking in terms of how to support demand, which we think is about households. I just ask you about the geopolitics here too, because the trade war has been waged between the U.S. and China. We've seen uh, attempts to try and thaw that relationship uh, um, uh, impasse. But uh, just in the last 24 hours or so, we've seen comments uh, from a Wall Street Journal report that China has uh, reached a secret deal with Cuba to establish an electronic eavesdropping facility, which could have ramifications for just where that U.S.-China relationship goes from here. How significant would it be if there were any breakthrough on the trade front? We don't expect any. I don't think anybody has any expectation there. I think the best we can hope for is is the for the two sides um, not to make things worse, for the for the diplomatic relationship to resume or to increase at the high level, which seems to be somewhat happening at the moment. Um, the, but uh, the long term picture is is hardly going to change, which is one of uh, the U.S. China competition. In every aspect, you know, especially when we talk about economy in the in the technology uh, space. So these things are not going to change at all.
Well, yeah, absolute pleasure to get your expert opinion today. Thank you very much indeed, and have a wonderful weekend as well. Wei Yao, who is China economist at Societe Generale. And for more on the factory gate uh, deflation story in China, and you've got to, no matter what, let me just take a step back, everybody. If you want to know what you're going to do with your portfolio, you've got to work out what's going on with the world's largest economy. And that's why I'm spending a lot more time trying to work out what's going on in China as well. Because when you've got fruity valuations, and we'll come to the S&P story in a few moments' time, You've got to look at what could potentially go wrong. And if this factory gate deflation story in China means something bigger about the Chinese economy, you've got to be aware of it in your portfolio. Hence, you need to look at CNBC.com elsewhere. Look, there are other stories elsewhere, don't get me wrong, but I think there's some very good copy you can find there. Right, elsewhere, US Secretary of State Antony Blinken is reportedly planning to travel to Beijing as soon as next week in what would be the most high-profile visit to China by a Biden administration official. Isn't that interesting, given the context of Karen's question just then to The Economist uh, about geopolitical relations potentially thawing? Well, a Politico report says the State Department is still concluding details of the trip, which could happen on the back of his current visit to Saudi Arabia, building bridges, rebuilding bridges, left, right and centre potentially. Or actually, is it about rounding the wagons on Russia? So many issues for Mr. Blinken. Uh, Relations between US and China, of course, have soured in recent months over alleged Chinese spy balloon uh, and the one that was shot down, of course, uh, in February. But lots going on in the markets. Karen, we'll talk you through. Steve, let's just take a look at that market action yesterday. Another move to the upside, modestly so for the Dow, but stronger for the Nasdaq. And in fact, over the course of the trading week, there hasn't actually been much to look at under the hood. About two tenths up on the S&P and the Dow and flat for the Nasdaq for the trading week. But it is all about this new bull market. Are we in one when it comes to the S&P 500? I mean, that's been the big question. Have we in fact seen enough of those gains, 20% off the lows from October to mark the beginning of a new run here? And I think many are just questioning what we've witnessed, whether that does mark a change in narrative for the index or in fact, are there other criteria that still need to be met? Some are saying that we really need to get back to the early January levels of 2022 to really ink a new bull market. And that is really roughly about 500 points higher than where we're trading today. So is there still more territory to claim? One of the other criteria could be some breadth here. We've been talking about a very narrow number of stocks, a handful of names that have really been behind the momentum we've seen on the index. Typically, bull markets do have much wider profile than what we've witnessed. So question mark again, is it a new bull market or is it something that suggests we're still in a bear market with a bull trend taking place? Uh, the VIX, the fear gauge, well, there isn't much fear and that's what been, has been very evident in recent weeks. We're again still below that 14 level. Some bets are being placed though that volatility will ramp up from here in coming months. We could be around a 30 level. So that is something just to be mindful of uh, how low we've dwindled now on the uh, on the VIX index. In terms of treasuries, the bond markets look like this. Uh, we're just guiding a little bit above that 4.5% mark at the short end, uh, 4.52 with 3.72 on the longer end on uh, the US 10-year Treasury note. To what we're seeing on the dollar, the uh, various different uh, parts of this market you can see. Sterling is trading a little bit weaker morning session. That said, over the course of the week, we have climbed uh, closer to the 125.5 level 
also on euro dollar we've marched back up above 107 we're of course casting ahead to the ecb and what we're going to see from policymakers in terms of uh, how hawkish the narrative is and whether we do in fact get a rate hike for the month dollar firmer versus the safe haven japanese yen and versus the yuan asian markets in session uh, the trade is positive across the board we've got a very strong run speak about poor markets well take a look at that nikkei 225 now uh 3200 200 we're closing in on one and three quarters of a percent 550 odd points in session it is a very strong trade today but we are seeing gains elsewhere across the boards too the uh, shanghai composite is flatlining versus the cosby that is a very strong balance of more than one percent u.s futures uh, let's see what's in store for later on today we are chasing a little bit of red you can see not much in the way of uh, positivity coming through for the Friday session at this stage, near on 50 down to the Dow. So in some ways, we might actually be slightly flat to weaker by the end of the trade if uh, this is how the day plays out on Wall Street. Yeah, I get that, flat to weaker, because you just don't know what's going on at the moment. I mean, some of this data is so confusing. Really strong payrolls the other day, um, but some questions about the strength actually. Uh, in terms of uh, what's being paid to employees, i.e. where the jobs are being created. And again, look at this data. Jobless claims rose sharply last week, hitting the highest level since October 2021, or actually the highest uh, week-on-week figure since July of that year. Uh, more than 261,000 Americans filed for unemployment benefits, well ahead of the Dow Jones estimate of 235,000. The report comes ahead of the Fed's policy meeting next week. Analysts and traders are forecasting that the central bank will pause its rate hiking cycle. But what are they going to do in July? I mean, that's where the bets are most confusing. Yeah. What do the dot plots do down the track, I think, uh, is the uh, big question for markets. Are we still pivoting? And don't forget, a lot of market participants have taken off some of those bets. So they've gone into the higher for longer scenario. I'm going to tell you what's coming you up. they were wrong again. Well, exactly, but not everyone. And, uh, you know, we've got a couple of uh, big-name guests coming up on the channel. Our U.S. colleagues will be speaking to... Bridgewater Associates founder Ray Dalio tune in for that interview on Monday, 1700 CET and what is going to be a big week for central banking. But also later on Monday, and this is key for me, this is a man who was telling us very early on that rates would not be falling, that it was a higher for longer scenario when many were just not buying into it. And this is uh, Bank of America CEO Brian Moynihan. Don't forget uh, they have a lot of data on the consumer Early in the year, he pointed out that those uh, consumer savings were strong, that the customer that they saw was very resilient. So uh, has there been a change to that as we're progressing throughout 2023? The interview coming at 1900 CET. It is fascinating because I have my questions, as do you, about the strength of those US savings. I think they are being drawn down aggressively. In fact, in some places, they are non-existent. Well, so the January to February picture, he was right. That was exactly what was happening. We're still seeing that resilience feeding through to the retailers now and all the data that's been crossing. But as you, as you point out, the question is now, as we're at June 2023, we're almost at the halfway mark, how much has that picture changed? I think the narrative from Brian Moynihan will be fascinating. Uh, seriously, there are some terrifying data out there about, dare I say it, my generation, Gen X, 1965 to 1980 born, about the kind of assets they have for their retirement. Can I just do that one more time quick? Do you mind? I, I, I know I've got a tease. Around half of those Gen Xers have nothing virtually put away for retirement. So no pensions, no savings. 35% of 65 million US Gen Xers, according to Prudent Financial, they did a 2,000-person survey, have less than 10,000 bucks saved, and 18% have zip. Whoa.
That's a big weight for the state then, isn't it? And then you add that to the revolving credit data as well, and you see why people are beginning to put a lot more money on forms of financing, which are very expensive. Uh, Coming up on the show, Donald Trump, guess what he says? You got it. He says he's innocent. This after becoming the first former president to face federal criminal charges. Uh, Talking of charges, how about this for a, a, a rap sheet? Gary Gensler, the SEC chair, well, he once again is lashed out at the crypto industry, industry, calling it full of hucksters and fraudsters as the regulator's crypto crackdown ramps up. And more on that when we return. Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on CNBC.com. Um, I'll tell you what, if you get in one legal situation in life, it's draining and concerning, especially if that's a criminal charge, even you know, wherever on the civil charge. But if you've got this stuff coming at you left, right and centre, you've got to, I've got to say, whatever you say about Donald Trump, if you like him or not, the man is able to juggle a few things at one time, isn't he? And kind of bat down aggressive criticism left, right and centre. Maybe that's why he's so popular with so many Republicans. Yeah, but I think we're talking about a different situation from just one person having a lawyer that they interact with very occasionally over a decade versus sure, someone who's legal stressful. dark with a ton of lawyers, probably not just one, a series True, of them. but you are the figurehead of everything going on. You're the epicentre of this maelstrom going on around you. And you're also mounting your, you know, you're getting ready for your primaries as well in your Republican campaign. I mean, it's left, right and centre. So what, what have we got? We've got... The, the Manhattan District Attorney, 34 felony counts there as well. You've got the concern about the presidential records. You've got um, the DOJ looking at things in Fulton County, the district uh, attorney there um, in the state of Georgia about what happened in presidential election. You've got Letitia James, who's the New York Attorney General, also filing a suit against Trump and three of his children alleging a sweeping fraud conject- uh, connection. I mean, you have, I appreciate what you're saying, and he has got an army of support as well. It's keeping the law community going, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, that would be a great story for someone to do, isn't it? How much in legal fees have the Trump legal cases generated for the for the US bar? Yeah. Uh, unbelievable. But, you know, lawyers talk about this, who are their big-name clients, and in terms of big-name clients, Donald Trump is as big as they get, right? Absolutely. Let me just fill you in the gaps of the latest situation, because the former president, Donald Trump, has been indicted by a federal grand jury on seven charges related to his handling of classified documents and alleged obstruction in giving them back. The charges have not yet been made public, but NBC News has confirmed they include the Espionage Act, which carries a maximum of 10-year sentence. The move makes Trump the first former president in US history to face federal charges and comes amid other, as I mentioned, ongoing investigations into the behavior 
Of him in the 2020 election as well as and into an alleged hush money scheme involving an adult film star. The one thing I will say as well is there are investigations going into Joe Biden and uh, what documents he had in his residential garage and also Mike Pence as well because classified documents were also found at his home as well. So, you know, let's let's even this out as well. There are other politicians who are guilty. Now, again, whether they're guilty or uh, uh, no they're not guilty they have taken documents and whether it's legal or not remains to be seen and delicious timing i think for the political pundits watching the presidential campaign i mean already we've seen a number of hats thrown in the ring so we're, we're in that run-up already oh gosh, so. yeah, it's, it's a very crowded field already yeah. and let's push on and take a look at the special relationship uh, joe biden and uk prime minister rishi sunak hailed what they called the Atlantic Declaration, an agreement to strengthen the economic relationship between the two countries. On the final day of Sunak's DC visit, while not a full trade deal, which Sunak's Conservative Party pledged to secure in the last UK election, the agreement does include commitments to ease trade barriers and could see UK electric car firms gain access to US tax credits and subsidies. Sunak said the agreement focuses on the particular challenges facing the two countries. That's what we've announced today, is a partnership that will deepen our cooperation to strengthen the economic security, and that's good for all our citizens at home. And those risks have intensified in the past couple of years. I think that's very evident. Uh, But it also seeks to build prosperity and create jobs in both of our countries. We've announced billions of pounds of investment into the UK, which is going to support thousands of jobs. Over a million of our citizens in each other's countries work in each other's companies. We're one of the largest investors in each other's countries, and that trade is growing at something like 20% last year. So the relationship is strong, it's booming. Binance's U.S. exchange says it has suspended dollar deposits and will stop withdrawals as of Tuesday, blaming, quote, extremely aggressive and intimidating tactics from the SEC. The exchange says it is taking the measures proactively to protect consumers and that it has one-to-one reserves for all deposits. SEC Chair Gary Gensler has ramped up his criticism of the crypto industry, saying it is rife with, quote, hucksters and fraudsters. Gensler told a conference that most crypto tokens are securities, rejecting criticism from some from a lack of clarity from that perspective. Yeah, there's, there's a lot in there as well, but it's a, it's a very aggressive debate on both sides, isn't it? Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.